Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us, the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Dr. Stephen Hicks, a 2022 game changer for his work as a scientist turned tech entrepreneur. His work helping people with visual impairment shows the determination required to operate at the cutting edge of medical innovation. This interview was conducted by Kathy Campbell, the producer of the Global Australian Awards. In simple terms, can you describe what you do? So for someone who has no idea, we're talking high school audience, uh, early uni, how, how do you describe what you do? Yeah, so I kind of think of myself as a technology innovator. So it's a mixture between uh, part, partly doing re, uh, scientific research, so understanding human vision, uh, aspects of artificial intelligence and computer vision, and then also doing product development as well. So I don't just develop the technologies, but also try to put them into products that can actually go into people's hands. And so the area that I innovate is in uh, technology related to sight loss, looking at ways to augment human vision. So when you lose sight, you often still have some, some sight remaining, and what we develop uh, in my company and also the university is technologies that can capture different aspects of the world and, and highlight them and make them easier to see for somebody who is uh, almost, almost blind, partially sighted. And we put those into electronic glasses, smart glasses, uh, augmented reality glasses. And so it's a mixture between, so day to day, it's a lot of uh, development of software, looking at optics and prototypes, um, and then also uh, meeting people with sight loss. So understanding what their stories are, what are the things that are important to them that they're missing, and then trying trying out our prototypes and seeing where they go. So it's a, the whole kind of life cycle of both, both understanding the issues facing people and then understanding what sort of technologies are around. And it's very nice because you know, right now with mobile computing and everything, there's so many toys out there to, to play and develop. Uh, so it's a really fast-moving area. So it's always new new technologies to, uh, to try to solve uh, yeah, meaningful problems related to sight for a lot of people. Wow. Can you give us an example of what that might mean for someone? So someone with impaired vision, what do you develop and, and how do they use it? Yeah, well, one of the challenges is that there's people lose sight through a, a range of different ways. Um, and as often you have to develop different types of technologies for different types of problems. But if we take something like macular degeneration, which comes on later on in age, you, you lose your central vision. So the part that you really care about to see faces and read text and things, it, it starts to degrade. But you're left with vision around the periphery as well. And often there's still some in the center. So what we, do, what we have are glasses that don't look like this yet, but one day, um, that have a, a camera and a small computer and a battery. And it, the camera captures images of the world in real time and, uh, and is able to enhance them in different ways in order to, in a sense, kind of, magnify that image to stretch it out onto the parts of the retina in your eye that, that still function well. So if it's the case of finding a face, uh, we can use computer vision to find that face, to uh, magnify it, to enhance some of the contrast, 
and then allow that to be projected on the inside of small screens that are essentially like little like mobile phone screens, but they're see-through, um, that, sit, that sit right in front of the eye. So it's not a medical technology, it's completely non-invasive, it's basically it's a, it's a wearable mobile phone in some respects, and people can put them on and then they can, the, what we can actually do with them then is you can try to get around, uh, uh, you know, deal with the aspects of your life that you would like to be doing. So for a lot of um, grandparents, it's really about seeing grandkids. And we've had a lot of success with people being able to you know, see, their, see their grandkids for the first time or, or see their partner who they haven't seen for, for a while, you know, make out their face much more clearly so you can see the expressions and the hairstyles changed and uh, shape of the mouth and things like that. But also, uh, it's really... It's never really functional stuff. It's not never really about finding, uh, you know, a, a better job or things like that. Although it sometimes is, it's really just about small things like being able to, uh, you know, read a bedtime story to to your grandkids, or seeing flowers in the garden, or or pick up some of the books that you'd, you'd left till later in life to read, but now your eyes aren't aren't good enough for that. So that that's the kind of technology that works for macular generation. And there are a lot of other different eye conditions that all, all take a slight different, um, different take on how to enhance images. How incredible to transform people's lives in that way and, as you said, in the simplest of ways. Gosh. Yeah. Did you always see this as your goal when you were going through uni and studying and early in your career? Was this your plan? No, it wasn't at all. Uh, I, I think originally I wanted to be either a teacher or a pilot, uh, but... Um, I, I was always very interested in science fiction and particularly things like a book called Neuromancer or a movie called Lawnmower Man that really kind of explore what digit, uh, digital computers uh, would be able to do to augment people in the future. And you call that area cybernetics. And that whole area was fascinating to me. So I started, I, I, I didn't realize at the time that you could do a job in that. It was just all fantasy. But uh, when I went to university, I did a general science degree. Um, and steered myself towards neuroscience because I was very interested in the mind. And particularly, for some reason, maybe it's called wearing glasses, I don't know, but for some reason I've always been really been interested in vision and what makes like a colourful, stable world around you. I still really don't know. I know lots of parts of it, but it's one of those lifelong interests. So I've always been fascinating with, fascinated with human vision. And over a period of time, um, I started to look at more ways in which I could get involved in doing practical research in that area, not necessarily finding out about aspects of human vision, because we know that pretty well, but what, you, what, you could you, what could you do to augment human vision, potentially, so you could have like a metaverse-style cybernetic existence? But that's all really futuristic. We don't really know how to do that. But what is really compelling that I found um, uh, through, my, through my study and when I started to work as a medical researcher was that blindness is prevalent. 200 million people are in the world, uh, you know, blind or, or se severely sight-impaired. There's very little you can do. And I started to go, well, you know, virtual reality and these headsets and these things, uh, you know, they provide a, a type of display which, uh, which anecdotally can uh, visually impaired people can see very well. So that started to bring everything together. So, no, I wasn't really uh, focused on blindness or augmentation or cybernetics from the beginning, but it over a period of time, they all kind of came together. And it's, I've, I've reflected on that recently as well. Like, I do so many things now that are related to what I liked as a kid, like playing with virtual reality, you know, exploring robotics and AI and, and, and developing science fiction type of technologies. To, to see that that's actually now my career is just, it's, it, it must be partly designed, but it's also partly, you know, accident and, and, and a joyful coincidence. 
So this next question is going to sound funny because I can hear it in your voice. Um, what motivates you each day? What gets you out of bed to continue to do what you do? Um, the, the thing that motivates me really is the impact that you can have on people's lives. I love developing new technologies. I like the fantasy of it. I like where it's going to go. But there's something really rebellious about the fact that we take that and we move that towards people who need this technology right now. It's not about games. It's not about you know different AR experiences. It's about meaningful changes to people's lives right now. So there's always a lot of challenges with work. There's always a lot of dips you know, that you've got to be able to get through. And knowing that the technology that me and my team are developing are in people's hands right now and the next ones are going to be better and... Yeah, and and when you, you test the technology out with people and you get the you get the kind of feedback that you're hoping for, you know, that it, that it's working and it's making a difference. That's they're the stories that we that we always tell each other. That we're always motivating ourselves each time. Um, and it's it's just like a yeah up here they call it a north star, you know. <laughs> that's not the same in Australia in a sense. Um, but that's the kind of that's the kind of guide that that we really go for is. Uh, you know, to make that into a, a meaningful technology for a lot of people. And it, and that, that brings a huge number of challenges because, you know, the tech, technology is always developing and always getting smaller, but it's not getting smaller fast enough for us to be able to make, you know, this for $50. It's going to be able to improve people's sight. So there's all these engineering optimizations, which me and my team, we just love, you know, finding new smaller processes, new forms of optics, you know, new industrial designs that can hide some of the technology away. There are all these little steps that we always see because you get feedback and say, oh, yeah, I would have used it, but it has a big cable coming out the side. It's like, okay, fine. Okay, we'll think about that. And these, there's always new little uh, you know, steps, new little goals that, will, that, all, that all amount to this main one. What would be an, you know, a challenge, some challenges, and maybe an example of what a challenge might be for you in your work and then highlights as well? So there's always some challenges when it comes to developing technology. You know, there's, you've got to have the grit, really. There's, there's always going to be ups and downs when you're trying out prototypes and developing things. Some of them won't work. And at the beginning, most of them didn't work. We were, like, helping or, or showing positive signs in, like, you know, two out of ten people or something. And, and that was really, that was hard because you'll get, like, five people in a row. So, like, that oh, doesn't work. And it's just like, oh, but it must, you know, it must work. And so... Having the, having a passion, you know, and, and a long, a well thought out, but a but a, a good passion that's going to be able to get you through those parts and be able to get back up from those hits and just keep going. That's yeah, that's a really important part of that innovating, and there will always be those, you know, because you're putting yourself out there with an idea that you love, and there's people coming knocking it back back all the time, you know. So that's that's what that's a challenge. But I think another on the vision side of it. Um, the, uh, the, one of the challenges is that people, when they lose sight, they will generally lose it in, in a, such a wide number of ways. Losing vision isn't like turning the brightness down and you don't just get a display and make it bright and have someone see. You know? Vision is more of a mental act, actually, than a physical act of seeing. It's really about evoking the experience of sight. And much of what we see around the world right now, we make up anyway, you know, because you, you know what a person looks like. So you don't bother to see the entire thing. You just go in your brain and plot person here and then you behave like a person's there so what you have to do for augmenting vision is to give people enough of the clues so that they can propagate and they can fill that um, their mental image with the right things and so that's um that's that will kind of generally work for lots and lots of people but you need to really understand what area of sight they have remaining and and how to augment that 
so they're challenges. But I think we've kind of been able to overcome most of those, and we know like the main the main brackets of site loss now. I think so. One of the highlights, really, for me as a as a researcher and somebody who works with uh, people who are visually impaired, is bringing prototypes in and testing with uh, with patients or with users. And there's always a wonderful moment, you know, when someone comes in and tries it, and and they look over at their loved one, and and they sort of just go quiet for a moment, and you can tell it's because they're now. They're seeing, yeah. You know, they're they're studying their face, and then it's quite it's quite emotional for everyone, really. And this is when you know that you've got you've got something that's really valuable. It's it's a gift that you're going to be able to help provide for this person, either in a, you know in a trial sense or as a product in the near future. And these are the you know this this kind of this kind of product development is really is really rare and it's really touching and it's continually motivating for us. The other, the other challenge is is about uh, is really about me being impatient because there are there are like 200 million people with sight loss around the world right now who could benefit from this technology, but in some cases the only thing you can provide is like a massive virtual reality headset or something with like a huge battery and and while it will work you know it will never function as a product that it'll be too complicated or too heavy or too embarrassing to use and that's completely uh, completely right so I get. So I can see I can see where this technology can go, but sometimes I have to kind of sit on my hands and like, well, you know, I can't move off into battery development in order to shrink those down, you know. So one of the challenges is really about finding finding a, a bit of patience, a bit of calmness, so you can steadily go through the process, knowing that some people are not going to be able to help because it's just it's just not practical. But but we're building up a body of knowledge and a body of technology which will be able to go into products for, for, for hopefully a great many years. And, and so there is, so within, within that kind of urgency, there is also some calmness that, that we will solve this. And you know, in, in a relatively short period of time, I think we're gonna be able to have technology like smart glasses, which is actually very affordable, very commonplace, and, 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 and hit our goals of really being able to help as many people around the world as we can. That's, uh, that's really interesting that the patience to allow something to just take take the time it takes my question and it's not it's not on our list here it, it's around the team that you work with um, I mean you don't work alone can you tell me more about the team that you work with and and what that's like day to day to face those challenges together as well you know problem solving yeah well I've got a wonderful team I mean mostly I work within the technology department so I've got programmers and engineers uh, a guy on optics uh, you know a lot of a lot of other staff related to uh, logistics of managing uh, product development. So that's our that's our core team, and we're a tight bunch. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of a lot of humour there, a lot of goodwill, and amazing. A lot of people who could go off and make way more money. You know, working for one of the big companies, but but they like they like working with us because it's yeah it brings brings some meaning to the to the type of coding and type of development they do. So I'm really blessed blessed for that. Um, within the company, there's also uh, opticians and there's sales departments and the, all the management functions as well. And within university, we have like a really nice uh, array of, of students coming through with who have new ideas. And I love that part deeply because I know as a, as a student as well, like meeting people who are doing interesting work and, and getting under their wing for a little bit to try stuff out was how I got to where I am. So I really love the chance of being able to meet these young minds and and, you know, uh, see what they're interested in. Help, help if I can. You know, help uh, help their pro- uh, projects develop. So it's a it's a real it's a, it's a full stack, I guess, <laughs> of people developing the product to people imagining new things, and then a lot of people out there doing the hard work of of meeting individuals, doing the doing the trials, and 
And, and the real problem, uh, the real difficulty here is, as a commercial organisation is that there's no real market for smart glass of visual impairment. Hearing aids we've had for decades, you know, you know where to get one, you know, it's just down to the chemist. But smart glass of visual impairment, it's like you, you probably haven't even heard about it. And so a lot of it is about raising the awareness uh, finding out who's actually uh, are able to purchase these and then and working out distribution deals and, and all those different aspects, which I love. You know, I, I started off as an academic, curious about space and cybernetics, and now, I'm, now I can sort of try to, now I've got some sort of handle on how to do, um, you know, global, global trades. You know, it's, it's, a, it's wonderful to be able to, uh, to stretch out across all those, uh, all those fields. Yes, so diverse the skills required to take that to its end point, which is the user, the person who's going to use them. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. What does it mean to you to be selected as a finalist in the Global Australian Awards, you know, for, for your home country to be looking at what you're doing and saying, we want to put a spotlight on what you're doing and show people back home just what you're achieving? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm really excited. It's a really, it's a great honour to be finalist for the Advanced Australia Awards. Uh, Australia has always sort of felt to me, uh, my Australianism has always felt a bit of a superpower in some respects. It's, it's something I've carried with me. It's really helped open doors everywhere I go. And I kind of, I've been thinking about, I think there are kind of three real things. First, there's a, there's a sense that everyone's equal. Like there, I don't, I don't get a sense of like different people's station in, in, you know, in society. And that, when I went to university, particularly at Oxford, which has a really old history, I didn't mind knocking on people's doors and trying out projects and things because I didn't really recognise that there would be any barrier. And I think that's a really rare thing that, that Australians just intuitively have. There's a second one, I reckon, which is about um, optimism. You know, there's, there's a sense you can do anything, so might as well try. And then that comes across as being courageous to people who aren't Australian. But to, I think to Australians, it's like, well, why, why would you do anything different? And then the third part, which... Um, I've, I've always liked the fact that Australian, Australia has like a long history of, of invention. You know, it's a harsh country and, and there's a huge number of ideas and inventions that come out of making Australia you know, a hospitable place for, for many of us. And so I've sort of taken that board as like, it's like well, okay, well, I must be a natural innovator because I'm from Australia. And that's given me the, the courage and the confidence to go and try a lot of ideas that, you know, making technology glasses to help blind people see, it just sounds like ludicrous, but it's like, no, no, it's all right, you know, because we can do some of these parts because it's, we know it can be solved. And so, so those, those three things, I think I've always carried with me as a, as an Australian over, over here in England. And so being part of the, being a finalist here has allowed me in a way to bring, bring the recognition of that back to Australia a little bit. So to help people in Australia realise that there are a bunch of Australians out here which are doing exciting things, you know, challenging things, and that, you know, for a country of 20-odd million in a, in a vast, vast world, we make a huge impact. We really, this might be self-serving, but we're universally accepted. You know, people really appreciate the courage, the openness, the optimism that Australians carry. And it just comes, it comes really naturally and it's really welcomed, especially in some of the older world countries as well. So if I can bring some of, you know, Australia has given me a really great start and, and, a, and a huge number of assets that I've been able to carry through. And so if I can bring, you know, pay that back a little bit by being an ambassador for the country and, uh, you know, and helping Australians at home as well realise that uh, you can go out there and it's, and it's all going to be fine, then that's, that's wonderful. And I think that this award really gives a chance to, uh, to, to get that message out to people. The, the world out there is very accepting of Australians and they were really cherished, I believe. Yes, I, I love that. I love that. And it's not something that you know until you go overseas 
and perhaps for a long period of time that you start to reflect on what your home country, just being born or living there, has, has given you. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we had that term, the lucky country. I don't know if it's still used much now, but, but, it's, but it's not necessarily about Australia just getting luck in the Commonwealth Games or anything. You, know, it's, you, you make your own luck, I believe. And, and if you have an optimistic mindset and, and, and you're a little bit courageous and you like to explore, then the world just welcomes that. And, and, if, and there is luck. There is, you know, there's always opportunity there. But, that's, but having that idea that things are going to work out for you and, and giving it a try, that's, that's all you need to do, in my opinion. That's, that's the core of it. The rest, the rest of the details about where you put that effort, but the core is, is, is a self-belief that you might as, well give, might as well try. And actually, then it starts to you know, flywheel. It starts to pick up momentum, and then you really can, really can take it somewhere. Yes, absolutely. And there's so much evidence around that growth mindset now as well, hmm. you know, that can yeah. do, as you described. I'm just going to ask you a final question. What would your advice be to a young person who might be looking at something similar to what you're doing um, early on in their career? How would you advise them moving forward from their place right now? Yeah, I think I mean, if you're interested in this sort of career, then, then great. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of new science. There's a lot of, a lot of human need to, to be helped with, with this type of uh, technology to augment people or medical research in general. I think one of the first things I'd say is, is be curious about the world. You know, it's really important to study broadly. If you're going to be an innovator, you need to be able to draw on lots of different things in order to solve those problems. And so the more broadly you can study the different, and I'm talking about different fields in university, reading widely, you know, even arts, music, you know, design, everything. These are, these are all kind of parts of, the, of your problem-solving kind of kit, I guess, uh, that allow you to be much more mentally flexible to, to solve problems quickly and, and, and see intuitively some of, the, yeah, some of the solutions that maybe you have missed before. So being, studying really broadly is, is good. I did a Bachelor of Science degree. I wasn't really focused on anything for a while. That really helped me, but it's, um, yeah, but that, that curiosity is key. Another really important part is spend time developing the things you love. So you've got to be able to have, you've got to be able to develop some passions that are, that are key to you because it is, you know, especially in, in terms of innovation, it, it can be a long road between where you've begun your ideas, how they develop, how they dip and peak, you know, and you're the one who's constant amongst that. So, um, giving yourself enough time to really reflect on what's, what's interesting to you, being aware that the thing that's interesting to you at the beginning may not be the one that you're working on later on, but, but treating yourself that time to develop the things that you love, um, I think is, is a real, is, it fill, fills your soul. You know, it's able to keep you motivated through a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges and it'll allow you to see where your goal is. And, um, you know, the, the goal is the precious part. The steps you get to aren't so precious, but, but knowing where, that's, where that goal is um, will help you help drive through. Um, yeah, and I'd also say be, I mean, this is kind of, be, be an explorer, be, be courageous, get, get out there. You know, the world will support you. If, if, you've got an, if you've got ideas, if you've got a passion that you want to be able to develop, you know, particularly in the area of science, uh, for that specifically, yeah, science is, I mean, there's a lot of great science happening in Australia. Um, but also, if you can, get yourself over to one of these old universities over here. Like, they're, 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 they're very welcoming. There's a, there's a ton of stuff there that you can open your, open your eyes to. Life, lifelong colleagues and friends um, that, that you can get. Um, yeah, so being, being courageous enough to take that first step and seeing where it's going to go, um, that, that definitely worked for me. You know, I, I came over here 
you know, just, just, just to see. <laughs> I'd finished my PhD and I just wanted to explore a bit more, um, you know, do, see things like the Royal Society here in, in England, you know, which is a 500-year-old institution. You know, that sort of stuff uh, allows you to, especially walking in like old streets like, like London and Oxford and things like that, there are thousands of people who've trod those streets for hundreds of years and, and knowing that you're doing that right now, giving you that sense of that sense of place in history is uh, is very empowering. It, it kind of elevates the type of things you want to think about and that you want to do. So that, that's a really motivating thing. It's like, well, you're lucky enough to be in these great places. And, and actually, there are a lot of places. You know, I grew up, I went to Sydney University. Walking out the halls of the quad actually was the first time I'd really felt that. Like all the different people from, you know, from the, from the great eras of, of, of Sydney, especially on, in the social scenes, you know, they'd all been walking their thinking and being philosophical and Jermaine Greer and conversations and things like that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of history and, and you just take your part in that. You can demystify the you can demystify your your heroes a lot and know that they're just like you. That's you know, they've they've taken that same journey. They weren't they weren't you know, super special then. They were they were on their path. And it's really nice to be able to see to to feel yourself equal. In, in some respects to some of the people who you really admire. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more on global Australian game changes over the last decade, please go to our website, advance.org.